Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm going to be talking to Justin Trolley, who is a level three tri-coach, super knowledgeable about physiology, training, and just all-around smart guy when it comes to working out. We talked a little bit about preseason training and how the preseason has been extended. We talked a little bit about what's going to be happening in the fall for athletes and how training is going to be affected in the fall. I had a really great time talking with him. I always do. This is his second podcast with us, and he's going to be a guest multiple times because he's just so knowledgeable. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Justin, good to see you. Welcome to Swim Out of Box again, second time. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> so um, we were kind of just catching up very briefly, and you said this has been an interesting time for you because it's been busier than normal, and I find that really interesting. Um, and I was actually going to touch base and, and see how, how you've been training clients, how clients have been working out. So go ahead. I mean, how has it been busier? Yeah, well, and it's, it's funny because like I originally thought going into the, the whole lockdown and everything and everything shutting down and like certainly a lot of the work I've, I've been doing with PPA um, stopped. Um, but I mean, athletes just like to train. And of course, in a lockdown, everyone suddenly has more time to train. And so um, that's that's been one side of it. I mean, so I think of all my athletes, I think I had two drop out out of, out of the entire group. Wow. Um, so not not a huge amount, and those were athletes that were um, they were training for a specific event that got cancelled, and and so um, all I've done is essentially reschedule for the same event for next year, and they've signed up for next year's uh, training instead. So um, that actually worked out pretty well. But um, for me, there's been a lot more work from a standpoint of yes, the athletes have got a little bit more time to train. Uh, I had to do a little bit of preparation stuff as far as doing stretch cord work and strength work and stuff to offset some of the time that they're not spending in the pool. But that that wasn't really too much of an issue. Um, for me, the biggest thing was um, just getting used to um, doing so much more of my stuff remotely. So. Um, the, the athletes that I do um, a lot of one-on-one work, there tends to be a big variance between the athletes who are who are beginner athletes who are coming into the sport, who are preparing for their first event, preparing for their first race. Uh, those athletes are more likely to drop uh, just because of the fact that they have a specific event in mind. Suddenly that event disappears and they, they don't want And so, but for me, me personally, most of my athletes are performance-based athletes. So they are athletes who do the same thing year in, year out. They know that regardless of the lockout, they're going to be coming out of the other end. So they don't drop, they stay on, they want to focus on their weaknesses, the key stuff, and it allows them to train a little bit harder, a little bit more focused on on those sorts of things. So for me, it's worked out pretty well in the fact that most of the athletes, because they were performance athletes, didn't drop. And that worked out well. I know a lot of coaches who work with athletes who are preparing for specific events, who are new or like off the off the couch to their first 5K and things like that. Right. Those athletes, yeah, they, some of those coaches have taken a hit. Uh, but for me personally, it hasn't really been a big big deal. That's the, awesome. other thing, the other thing that's been huge for me too is I do a lot of coach coach to coach work. So I do a lot of coach mentoring, a lot of coach education work. And that side of the business has picked up um, primarily because of the fact that suddenly coaches have more time at home and that they've got time to study and train and understand more things. And so I've done a lot more talking with coaches. I did a, a presentation or when I say presentation, I did uh, six presentations for USAT um, earlier in the month or early last month uh, for the new level two online course. And okay. so 
I think over the over three days, I, I presented something like 13 hours worth of presentation. Wow. So uh, it was a little different doing it online, but the the actual format worked really well. I could share all the stuff I wanted to share and talk openly oh, with the coaches. And um, because we have tried our online stuff before, and that's uh, it's right. been a little bit um, difficult because it's hard when you're trying to have that communication backwards and forwards with coaches. But the, uh, with the new format, with using um, Zoom for us at the, at the time, and it would just worked out really, really well. Oh, that's, I mean, I have always had issue uh, doing everything remotely, you know, learning remotely, teaching remotely, un, any online courses, things like that. I always struggle with. So it's good to hear that you were able to, to make those connections with those, those coaches. Um, from our perspective, from Swimbox's perspective, we have seen also a, a big uptick in people interested in coaching as well. And I think it's not just time on their hands. I think some people are looking for a different career path now. So I think that's, that's also what's happening. So it's kind of interesting to see how this is affecting everything. So it, it is very interesting how a lot of industries that are, that are traditionally relatively vulnerable to, to things suddenly wind up being front and center in a pandemic because that they are, you're, you're independent, you're not attached to an employer, you're not face yeah. to face all the time, or you don't necessarily have to be face to face all the time. Um, and that's made a big difference. One of the huge biggest things for me has been uh, I use Silicon Coach Pro, um, which is a video analysis software. Um, and that's been massive for me because it means that the athletes can send me video, send me running mechanic stuff, and I can do the video voiceovers and stuff, send the information back so they can see what they're doing wrong. And, and so that's allowed me a lot of interaction with that. What, and I also use that. With, what was the name uh, of the software? Silicon Coach Pro. Silicon Coach Pro, uh, okay. Yeah, I've used. I've worked with a company. They they're originally based out of Dunedin, where I went to university, and so I got to know them very very early on when they were like on their version like four or five, um, and now they're like version eight um, of the of the software. And so, um, but I use it a lot for for educated coaches too. So when you're trying to look at biomechanical work and stuff, because the, the hardest thing with with online is not. It's not the communication. It's not talking backwards or forwards. It's being able to share information, which right. I'm used to doing with a whiteboard or in a more kinesthetic way. Uh, yeah. Whereas it's that's how much harder. So all I now need to do is make sure I have the videos and stuff keyed up that I, I need to use for the for the educational side of it. And then after that, it becomes much easier. But yeah, you're right. I mean, um, it has been quite the shift in how the how the industry operates. But yeah. it's if you are if you're uh, if you have the ability to adapt, it hasn't been necessarily bad. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that um, more of my strength and conditioning friends aren't doing online things. A lot of them just kind of didn't know what to do and just stopped. They didn't even create videos or content. Like um, we've talked to a couple of people on the podcast in the last couple of days that massage therapists or uh, a, a stretch therapist who they they could offer things online at least content to be relevant but in their minds oh nobody wants it nobody needs it but it's just not true so it's just that yeah. that 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 mindset of like okay i just need to shift a little that way and now i'm back into it 
So. Well, and there is always there is always a need for what you do. The, the question is how you actually go about providing it, or how you go yeah. and how you adjust um, your business model in order to be able to provide it. And that's that's always going to be the tough part um, when things change in a hurry. And I certainly think, I mean, the the biggest mistake, like you say, people make is that they assume that people aren't going to want something. I think right. what this has taught me most about um, the industry is the fact that um, people people want what you, you are, what you're offering. Um, and yeah, if, in this sort of situation, they want it more. The only difference is, is you have to find a way to actually be able to put, to package it into a product yeah. that they, they can actually have or use or utilize. Um, and the bonus for, for me was the fact that because everything shut down, people's expectations of what they were going to get initially were relatively low because they yeah. were, they were happy for anything they got. And that allowed you to then to sort of jump that that bar initially and then improve on the product from there uh, it wasn't like you suddenly had to go from nothing to something that was like fantastic right because right. people didn't expect fantastic they just expected something um and that that worked out well so you could get across that bar and then it's like okay now how can i adjust or build on this and how do i improve it? Right. that that was that's made that's made a huge difference yeah and now there is an expectation right because you've been able to elaborate off of that sort of foundation exactly. that basic foundation of well, let's just figure something out. And now you've gotten to a point, what, two, two and a half months into it. You're like, oh, okay, I got this groove now. How, yep. the last time we ended our conversation, we talked about uh, doing another podcast to talk about how do you go from uh, postseason into preseason and into preseason into the actual season. We are probably two months late on that podcast. I was going to say, te technically speaking, we're still preseason. We're but, just waiting for one to actually be scheduled. But now <laughs> we're actually still preseason. So I was like, ah, oh, screw it. Let's do the podcast. No, I was going to say, yeah, no, we're, we're definitely still preseason. I mean, there, there's lots of, we're, we're starting to see lots of races being put on the calendar. And most of them don't. But most of them don't start until at least July. And mo and those yeah. are generally events that aren't going to be, like, close-knit. Um I mean, as far as Ironman 7.3 and a lot of those events, they're still being pushed way, way down the track. I mean, um, realistically, I don't expect to have a lot of stability with racing until, or particularly for try, um, just because of the close-knit close, close -knit nature of it, until yeah. later in the year, probably September, October, November. Um, just because yeah. of the fact that, I mean, while you can, while I can open things up, you it's very hard to space things out. I mean, we could probably do time trial starts and try and find ways to do things in that regard, but it is still very difficult um, in a sport that's designed to be basically close by to each other. Yeah. So, are you then sort of making a shift to your programming and going, okay, so we're going to push this preseason uh, all the way until you know the end of the summer, basically. Yeah, so some of the athletes who were preparing to race early, so some of the athletes who were within a month of racing when the when everything shut down, um, we actually um, used that period. We did a couple of test some testing um, at that point just to see where they're at and how they were progressing. And then when we'd done the testing, we then put them onto a maintenance phase for a couple of weeks just to allow everything to sort of shut down, dial, dial back, recover, rest. And then we started to push through to what we think will be the, the next starting of the season. So it was almost like we we peaked. We, we Instead of racing, we did um, training. Um, and then we um, – or testing – and then we went into a break period and then we went to our normal build. So it was pretty much what we normally do, just minus the racing. Yeah. Uh, I think going forward, um, one of the biggest changes I've made to the athletes was 
um, for most of my athletes, because like I said, they were most of them are performance-based athletes, and so they they raced year in year out and same sort of thing. What we've done is we actually took a lot of the goals that they had from a racing standpoint, turned them into training-based goals that we could actually focus on and that we had control over. Um, and that allowed us to then focus on those in much, much more detail. Um, so they, they actually still have goals. They still have their focuses. They still have their training. Um, so it just basically took the outlet for that from a race to something that is actually manageable or, can, or um, adjustable so that we can actually do it. Yeah, I think um, as you were kind of talking about it, I was thinking about it and it sounds like this might be, there's silver lining here might be injury prevention. If you don't have someone that's racing every other week or something that frequently where they don't have time to recover and they can't build back up and they're going to hurt themselves. So it might be a kind of a, a nice shift to say shorter season, safer athletes. So that's, that's well, and we have, we have seen a much, much lower um, injury rate. Um, and I think part of that is, yes, part of it's racing. I mean, but not a lot of the time do we, I see athletes get injured during races. It's usually that final prep phase that we tend to see a lot of the injuries and things pop up. Um, likewise, going from race to race to race tends to um, cause them to break down and, and have injuries. So we have been lucky in that regard. But there's a lot of things that certainly that I've changed to, in order to adjust for this um, that I will keep um, once we don't have it like once once we move out of it and I mean there's a lot of things I, I like about um, the the models and the systems that I have in place now um, at, for working at this point in time some of them some that are easier on me because they allow me to have more time because I can be more effective with what I'm doing um, and other stuff that's just more effective for the athlete as far as like better communication stuff and, and better um, feedback of information and things like that because a lot of time like when we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one stuff or you're in person you're constantly waiting for that next one-on-one -on -one session in order to gather the information you need to then move forward. Um, when you don't have that one-on-one, -on -one, you look for other ways to do that. I think um, there is certainly um, some some things uh, that will come out of this that are, that will make coaches more effective or more efficient. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, it's it's I've always well, not always. I have noticed um, that just as the years of traveling gone on, the seasons got bigger and bigger and bigger started earlier earlier pushed back later and later so i always kind of always think about these things that like okay at some point it's expanding at what point is it going to come back down i think we're at that point and so it actually might be a positive as yeah, well, well I think and how i and how i and how i dealt with that was in the past and we i've noticed the same thing so when i first started coaching back in the mid 90s um, a triathlon season would start in like March, April, um, and then it would finish in September, October um, at the latest. And nowadays we're starting in January, late January, early February, and we're going all the way through to late, mid to late November. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, the seasons have become exceptionally long. Uh, what I did was, was essentially rather than like contract it, like you said, where the seasons get shorter, what I ended up doing is I break the season into two halves for athletes who wind up with seasons that look like that. And so instead of having one year, one season, we wind up having one year, two seasons. And so we, we go into it prepared for the racing in February. We race pretty hard all the way through to like April, late end of April, May, even into June, give them two or three or four weeks where they just basically go back into a base phase and just don't okay. focus on racing, don't do anything that's too dramatic and, and they sort of almost detrain, not so much detrain, but it's just go into a maintenance phase. 
And then we come out of that and we build towards the end of the season. And we found for a lot of the athletes, it actually gives them a, a huge benefit because what you find is that as you go into that end of season racing, they're much fresher. And so a lot of the athletes who have decided to carry on all the way through wind up being tired, fatigued, injured, things like that. And so the athletes who have gone through that break in the middle of the season, while they might have missed one or two races to, in order to do that, wind up racing much better in the back half of the season because of the nature of, of the racing they're doing. Yeah. So one of the things um, I've been sort of mindful about with all my athletes, because I treat all my athletes as swimmers. They're all swimmers to me. Um, they're not triathletes. They, they do triathlon, but they're swimmers. Um, yep. So for all my athletes, I have been concerned about their cardio endurance, but also more importantly, their muscular endurance, especially for my triathletes, because I know they're putting in the work on the run and the bike cardiovascular. They should be fine should not see much of adjustment there when pools open back up. But there's nothing in my mind that mimics the, the exertion of swimming accurately. You can use bands all you want, but they're yep. probably, they're so isolated. They're, they're not full body like swimming actually is. So the muscle endurance, not there, maybe rowing, maybe getting on an erg on a really low level that you can maintain for an hour. Right. But it's like, well, how do you find an exercise that you can do for an hour to 90 minutes with like one or two pounds of weight repetitively so that those limbs are moving thousands of times in that hour to 90 minutes? Well, and that's just it. It's like, there is nothing that prepares you for swimming quite like swimming. I mean, and, and there's like, certainly with running and cycling, I mean, there is a carryover between the sports. If you do one, then it's easier to go into the other and things like that. Um, one thing that's been useful with swimming, I mean, I, I was on a, um, a podcast not that long ago where we were for a guy in LA and we were discussing um, the negatives or the positive, negatives and positives for um, triathletes going into this sort of time period. And I said, you know, for an athlete who's a natural swimmer, it's going to be a negative because you're not in the water, you can't swim, you can't do your normal stuff and, and so you can't reinforce the good habits that you have and things like that for a weak swimmer, it actually may wind up being somewhat of a positive because you're able to change muscle um, memory, muscle um, ranges of motion without them getting in the water and reinforcing bad habits and having to go back in that negative cycle all the time. So exactly. there, there, are some, there are some positives to come out of it, but only for certain groups. And so um, yeah. it is, it's just a matter of, of looking for the silver lining and things and, and taking, taking the, the biggest, biggest step forward you can yeah. uh, while, while, while we're going through all this adversity. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it, by the way. I would say two or three weeks into all of this, all of my clients were making adjustments to movements way easier. And yep. I contributed it to two things. Better sleep, because now they're not getting up at four o'clock in the morning every day. Yep. And then they're not reinforcing all of their old habits and, and are having an easier time replacing the new habits. And it was kind of boggling like I my I was like a little confused how someone who was swimming supposed to be swimming six times a week is doing better now and these yep. are people that are like identify as swimmers and they were still like they weren't in the water as much but they weren't doing the bad movement over and over again so making the adjustments and the from changes my, came quicker yeah they came faster yep. for sure and then from my perspective I had to be careful to move people on because they don't have the time to practice so it's almost like I've had to build into my, my programming a couple of sessions where we, we treat it like a swim practice, where we, we, we hone a skill, we, we focus on that skill, and then we do maybe two or three 
uh, sessions together where it's a swim practice, utilizing that skill, reinforcing that skill, but not so focused on it. So they have opportunity to implement, I guess. So I don't know if you're able to like program that in for your athletes in any way, but it's been helpful for me. It, it's, it's certainly is. And I mean, like I said, it's, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily bad what we're, we're going through from a, from a training standpoint, it's just yeah. different. Um, and the, I think where, where most of the triathletes have struggled is a lot of them are very A-type in their personalities. And so getting out of a routine and, and trying to get into a different routine has, has been very, very difficult for them. They're used to this very regimented sort of system. Mm-hmm. Um, for a coach who's naturally a B-type personality with A-type tendencies, it's just a, 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 just a shift slightly to the side and we do things a different way and, and right. you, you're, quick to, you're quick to adjust. But I mean, as a coach, that's what you naturally do anyway. You adjust quickly um, just for changes in, in the environment, changes with your athletes and things like that. So I think to a certain degree, a lot of the coaches have adjusted quicker than the athletes have. But certainly, yep. I mean, I'm at a point now with, uh, where most of the athletes are in a pretty good routine. They know what they're doing. They're, they're sort of... Um, I mean, yeah, they'd love to be in the water a little bit more often, but I mean, they're happy with the the overall structure and how things are going. Yeah, I just realized that there is going to come a point now where the people that kind of had to learn to like to go to the pool have now kind of got a, a pass and are going to have to relearn to like to go to the pool and that's going to be a shift there there are definitely the gonna, there, there are definitely going to be the athletes and people who come out of a lockdown pandemic not wanting to go back to normal like like they actually get used to enjoying the 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 nature of of being locked down or having doing stuff that is uh, more controlled or at home or things like that and i think antisocial yeah, like me <laughs> yeah and i was gonna say i i have those tendencies as well it's like there's a lot of stuff that it's like i'd really like to keep that because i spend more time at home i've got more time with the family it's like hey there's, there's there's some different pros to this but um but certainly yeah i mean i think as we, as we come out of it well, well it'll be the same sort of swing we had going into it it's like that um the testing they did on on people to see if they could uh they could flip their their vision upside down and so they oh, had yeah. glasses and so yeah the first two weeks was awful until their body switched and suddenly they switched to their view and they, they were good as gold but the problem is that then you have to go back and so you right. have to go back through the same the same awful routine um i think we'll, we'll wind up going through that i just hope we don't have to go through it a second time yeah yeah i i agree with that for sure i uh I'm I'm still trying to figure out what people can do other than try to find a kiddie pool and a tether. I don't know if people realize, but you see those videos online. They don't usually last an hour. They're usually around 30 seconds. And there's a reason why those are short. Because if you oh, better yeah. swim against a tether, it ain't easy, nor is it it's not the same. It doesn't feel the same. It's not a great no, answer. The amount, of, the amount of force going through the body, it's, it's much more like doing a strength set through range of motion. Um, yeah. And it's, it, it's very, very fatiguing very, very quickly. I mean, you, I mean, you could probably, you could probably get away with it a little longer if you used uh, negative paddles um, that basically cut down the amount of force you're applying to the water going through. You could probably last a little longer. Good point. But certainly swimming with a tether is very, very difficult um, for any real length of time. I mean, yeah. um, and you're right. I mean, the videos are short, but primarily because it's just, it, it's something that kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like there's Vasa, Vasa trainers out there, right? Yep. That's, that's somewhat helpful. I think it's a good step in the right direction. Bands. And we're going to talk to um, our friend Kevin from tryswimcoach.com because he's been like, 
going literally crazy doing bands nonstop. So I'm going to talk to him about his, his, his dry land yep. band experience. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of exercise bands in general. Uh, TRX, I guess. Just, is a just, option, get, get, just getting bands is actually pretty difficult. Cause like week and a half in or two weeks into the pandemic, suddenly there's like a three week waiting list on, uh, yeah. on, on bands and stuff from Amazon. So, I mean, we, we did sort of go through that phase. Like suddenly everyone was like, Oh, no water better get. And so of course, yeah, everything sold out. And I mean, everything was on delay. I mean, if it was getting as bad. You had trouble buying toilet paper and, and <laughs> exercise methods, yeah. so, um, I mean, in my mind, I think finding like half pound or even one pound weights that you could hook to your wrist and your ankles and just doing jumping jacks for an hour straight would be the closest thing to actually swimming that yeah. you can replicate. Except for the fact that it's vertical rather than horizontal. I mean, that's the thing. Right. Like, there's so few things that actually replicate swimming um, in a way yeah. that actually works. And I mean, and the problem is, is like we're at the point where the, I mean, of course, the pandemic hits at the wrong time of year because people can't open water swim either because it's too cold. Right. Um, and so we are seeing some areas where people are actually starting to get back in the water, but. I mean, they literally look like they're polar bears going into hibernation with the amount of clothing and stuff that they've got on trying to get into the water. But um, I'm sure it, it, it sort of scratches an itch, but it's still definitely not ideal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep thinking about it, but I don't really have great answers for it. Um, any suggestions or advice for people listening who know that they have a race that hasn't been pushed back yet, but they know it's going to be pushed back? any adjustments that they should be thinking about uh, as far as training goes or, or how they should approach it? Yeah. That? So, so most of the time when we're preparing for races, as we get closer to races, you tend to wind up with most of your, your physiological um, breakdown of training being broken down and just like usually at 80, 80, 20. So 80% aerobic and 20% anaerobic sort of work where you're sitting up and around or a little over about threshold and things like that. Uh, I think with not knowing exactly when races are going to be, that breakdown tends to be much closer to like a 90 team, um, primarily because of the fact that you're building a lot of conditioning, you're basically making sure the athletes are going through range of motion, they've, they've got the fitness. So that when we know there's a race, you can suddenly do that sudden switch back and have them ready. I find that if you run them, an athlete um, with too much anaerobic work, um, all the balance between aerobic and anaerobic um, being too too heavy on the anaerobic side, the athletes tend to get burnt out or the risk of injury is much higher, even though there's no race to prepare for. So there's really no point to doing it. Um, what we're trying to do is basically do enough to stimulate the, the system so their anaerobic system holds on with what they've got. Uh, but you keep building that base conditioning so that once we do have a race, then you can do the final preparation work and, and have them ready. But the biggest thing is just making sure that the athletes um, – adjust their training um, intensities down a little bit um, yeah. because a lot of them, like I said, they've got more time to train. So they are training more often. I'd say on average, most of my athletes have increased their training load per week by probably close to 15 to 20% on average. Pretty so good. An who's, yeah. An athlete who's doing, used to do 12 hours a week is now doing 14 or 15 hours a week. Um, and they're, they're not any more fatigued because they're getting more rest, they're getting more sleep and things like that. So it's actually worked out pretty well from that perspective. But there is a risk if you increase that volume or you just increase the amount of intensity um, without without actually sort of sort of adjusting the rest of the program because of it. And so now we, if you if you see them adjust the volume without just and keep that intensity high or keep the percentage of intensity high, you, you will see a lot more athletes burning out or getting injured between now and, and when it comes to actually finally getting ready for those races. So we should expect 
better run splits, better bike splits, slower swim splits in the fall. <laughs> oh, with, without, without a shadow of a doubt. And I think one of the other things you'll see too, because of the nature of, of how training works, like as you get an increase in volume, you tend to get a, a, a decrease in fatigue. Um, we should see athletes with higher fatigue resistance, um, mm-hmm. but not necessarily quite as much raw speed. Um, right. And right. so, um, and I mean, that in itself is a plus for anyone because most of the athletes that I work with, most of the athletes that uh, most of the distance-based triathletes work with in the country here tend to be um, 70.3 or long course or 70.3 or Ironman athletes. Um, an increase in fatigue resistance is more important to them than an increase in FTP. Although we are seeing some increases in FTP because everyone, a lot of the athletes are stuck on trainers. Um, and when you're on a trainer, you're on, you're, your bike sessions are generally between an hour and an hour and a half. So right. I get on there and they hammer themselves senseless, which is, is, is problematic in itself. If you keep doing that on a regular basis, you will eventually right. burn up. But right. certainly I think from a fatigue resistance standpoint, building more base um, while waiting for races to pop up will, will tend to create more fatigue resistance for the athletes when it comes around to um, race time. Yeah. Uh, any, any final thoughts that you want to share with people? Any thing that you feel like people should just be mindful of moving forward through all this? I think because there's no racing and we're not bouncing from race to race to race, now is an incredibly good time to focus on biomechanics. Probably the biggest issue I see with people um, in their training and their overall like racing when they get back to racing and things like that is if you don't focus on your biomechanics, that winds up being the primary limiter. So you can do fitness work all day, but if you have poor biomechanics, you get to a certain point and that gets in the way of overall performance improvement. So I think it's really important, um, while it's difficult to do it in the swim, unless you're in a swim box, um, the, it's really useful um, on the bike and the run to be able to focus on those biomechanics, focus on the form and things like that. Um, because if you do that, then that carries over particularly well to racing so that then any sort of fitness you have transfers effectively. Uh, we see a lot of athletes where they build up all this fitness, but they just can't utilize it because when they get to a certain speed, the mechanics won't support um, going faster. It's like having a V8 engine in a Mini. It just doesn't really work that well. Um, you just can't, you can't yeah. control the speed or the power. Of the, and so it's a matter of keeping things in balance, but really focusing heavy on the biomechanical side, particularly with the run, um, which will also keep you injury free, is, is really important. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go for a run after this and I'm going to I'm going to channel what you said last time about the uh Kenyan marathon runners that you see in Colorado run like, 10 minute miles. You take Lisa with you? 10 minute mile today. Take Lisa take with you? I am actually. <laughs> She's going to be my pacer. She'll she'll help me. <laughs> that always works well. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, yeah, so, I was actually I was actually thinking about getting back and doing some running myself too. I think I'll I'll, I'll drag, drag my daughter out with me and she'll kick my butt. But it's <laughs> it's 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 worth it's worth doing all the same. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Um, let's let's go ahead and say we'll check back in and do another podcast and what what do you think july see how everything is going there yeah once once we're starting to once we're starting to emerge from the uh from the pandemic and, and everyone's back into some some level of normality it'd be very interesting to look at what's happening with people's form um how people are adjusting to being back in the water the 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 issues we've seen people run into and stuff like that coming from nothing to to a lot or trying to push back into too quickly um i think it'd be very very interesting yeah i think um I think it'll be an interesting late summer, early fall and to see how many people come back to the sport, how many people were lost during this. I know from a swimming standpoint, 
for kids at least, um, this is an opportunity to show them if they really love swimming or is it just something they got used to doing because now they don't have to wake up early anymore. Now they don't have to like do all their schoolwork and get swim practices in. They can have balance in their life. Exactly. Yep. So I think there's going to be a huge shift when we come back to the fall in swimming that a lot of kids are going to drop and find something else that balances. Cause you, I don't know how much of them actually love it as much as they think they did before they got it taken away from them. So it'll be, yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think it, it will be very interesting to see how that sort of plays out. Maybe, maybe we'll see uh duathlon being on the uptick for uh triathlon. Yeah. So since no one can swim, everyone's doing run, bike, run. And it's like, maybe, maybe we'll see a boost in other areas within the sport. So yeah, it'd be interesting. So, all right, cool. We'll, uh, we'll end here. We'll say goodbye and I will be in touch with you in July to talk about, how things are progressing. I'm super like interested to see how the future goes. As am I. So, Hey, thanks Dominic. And we'll catch yep. up with you guys soon. All right. Talk to you later. Bye for now. Bye.